Ava Hartling. Welcome to the Brand is Female podcast. Every week, I speak with women changemakers and founders who are redefining the rules of female leadership. This season of our podcast is brought to you by TD Women in Enterprise. TD helps women in business achieve success and growth through their educational workshops, financing, and mentorship. Visit thebrandysfemale.com slash podcast and follow the link to find out how TD can help. I want to thank TD for being our partner for this episode of The Brand is Female. What I admire most about TD is their highly personalized digital experiences that empower customers to make confident financial decisions. I also like that they're committed to evolving their offering of tailored and relevant banking options. By doing so, they've been strengthening customer relationships and building trust. In this episode today, I had the pleasure of speaking with Samantha Estoesta, Manager of Equity in Innovation and Programs at TD. Samantha's role is to apply inclusion and equity to TD Labs research concepts and projects in the early development and design phases of customer experiences. The future of digital banking is being shaped by TD and the digital journeys created for their customers are generating positive reviews and results. With fintech partners and a deep database understanding of their customer, TD's team plays a large part in the bank's success as they develop strong customer relationships built on trust. Visit TD.com to learn more and get the new digital banking experience you deserve. Samantha, it's a pleasure welcoming you on The Brand is Female today. I'm so glad you could make time to chat with me. It's my pleasure. Honestly, this is this is a fun opportunity. And I, I'm so excited to chat about, uh, you know, experiences and what led to a really interesting career, I think, at least. I think so, too. And I want to hear more. So we'll dive into it. And I like to start these conversations the same way and going back in time a little bit. So growing up, what did you dream you'd have as a career? What kind of profession were you envisioning for yourself? And was it anything remotely close to what you're actually doing today? So um, I'm half Azorian Portuguese and half Filipino. And so it shouldn't be a surprise to anyone that we have a lot of nurses in my family. Uh, There's also a lot of teachers. Um, I am very squeamish when it comes to blood. So nursing was out of the, out of the role real quick. Um, and I found with teaching that I really love the academic, uh, uh, inquiry that you're able to do and the, the ability to educate people, but I didn't have the patience for young minds, even as a young mind, I didn't mm-hmm. have the patience for young minds. So, um, I actually thought for a long time that I was going to be a, a lawyer who focused on human rights. Um, mm. and, and the other thing that I thought I would do is, um, uh, I had, a my dad was a computer science teacher in high school. And so I had been coding websites since I was eight. And so the other thought Fun. I would do was something in technology. Mm. Okay. So not, not entirely, you know, removed from what you're actually doing today. There's some, there's some points of connection. So tell me about, you, you know, your studies and uh, maybe the start of your career. And obviously the, the work you, you do today is centered in diversity and inclusion. So we'll, we'll get to that, but what were kind of those first paths that you took on, on your career journey? So I graduated from a pretty unique program from the University of Waterloo. It's called Peace and Conflict Studies. Uh, and so there's, there's usually two groups of people, people who study peace and people who study conflict. And mm. I very much was rooted within the idea of conflict and how do we get to the root causes of conflict. Mm-hmm. And I focused on um, intercultural communication. So really looking at uh, multiracial and multicultural populations and understanding how do we actually understand how motivations by different groups, often underrepresented or underserved, 
uh, and actually then be able to infuse those motivations into how we actually look at creating a successful society. Um, and at the same time that I was doing this, I was actually in an incubator. Uh, it's called the Felt Lab, uh, which was actually out of the experimental media department in the Faculty of English. And so mm. we had non-technical students who knew technical skills doing technical projects. And mm. so when I wasn't focusing on uh, an equity lens when it came to um, community development and communications, I was working on multi-touch uh, gesture so software, which is two very different things to be doing in an undergraduate degree. And um, afterwards, um, I, I essentially made a pivot in my career uh, and uh, I continued on with some of these uh, learnings in my master's of intercultural communications. And mm -hmm. I, I focused on a pretty unique um, research methodology. It's called arts-based inquiry. Um, as someone who's a poet, I wanted to do something that was focused in the arts. And so it really allows you to look at uh, emotions and motivations in a way that is, you know, as limited in barriers because the art area has no barriers. It's not mm -hmm. like some other types of methodologies where you might have access issues. Art's barrier-free. So I always loved that part of my studies. Mm, wonderful. And I mean, fast forward, because today uh, you have a very interesting role with TD, uh, where you are manager of equity and innovation and programs. And we were just chatting before starting the conversation about how you're possibly the only person in the financial world in Canada to have that title or to have the word uh, equity in your title. Um, so I do want to know uh, what that entails and also how was that switch for you um, going into the financing sector, which is not an obvious choice for somebody with your background? Well, when I was in the incubator space in my undergrad, um, like many other women and racialized minorities, uh, there I experienced moments where I felt like I really didn't belong in this field. Mm. And so I mm. actually took the pivot to actually go into academics uh, uh, situations and institutions and doing diversity, inclusion, and, and equity work in those spaces. Um, it was the joys of having a dual identity, essentially, to switch on to, to that work. And when you work in institutions, especially in a student-facing support Based role, you experience extreme burnout. Um, mm. You're dealing with uh, student mental health. Uh, I have, uh, you know, counseled students essentially, not as a counselor, but as a, a support network through student suicides, and, and that mm. leads so much burnout. And so um, I made the pivot back to um, thinking about technology in, okay, maybe I'll do community management. Maybe I'll do government relations. Maybe I'll mm -hmm. do social media. I'll do digital engagement. And um, I did that for quite some time. And this role at TD um, popped up as the outreach operations manager for their innovation lab. And okay. Thought, oh, it's a mm -hmm. little bit of students. Mm -hmm. It's a lot of social media. It's a lot of programming. It's all, I still get to do design thinking. Um, as someone who's been doing design thinking for over 10 years, I didn't mm -hmm. want to lose that part of who I so was. Checked all the boxes so for you. It's, mm -hmm. it was a magical opportunity. And um, within that role, you know, I took some time off when I uh, took a mat leave mm -hmm. uh, for my daughter's birth. And when I returned, uh, it was in March 2020. And we were really having those very difficult conversations about the impact of COVID. And then uh, fast forward a couple months and uh, we're reacting to 
uh, the George Floyd protests. Mm -hmm. And that really allowed me to go back onto my skills as someone who is a, a subject matter expert in equity, diversity, inclusion to say, how do we actually bring this into our innovation process? Mm. And we started hitting the ground running a year later in June of 2021. They formalized the role as the manager of equity and innovation and programs. And honestly, it, I say that it's the coolest job that anyone <laughs> could ever have. Like uh, <laughs> if you had told me that when I took that manager, um, of outreach operations at TD in 2017 that I was going to lead the manager of uh, equity and inclusion. I wouldn't have seen that that <laughs> pathway, but you know, TD made it happen mm -hmm. and I get to work on some of the coolest stuff. I, I'm not going to lie. So what do you, I think it would be helpful to, to get some examples of the, of the projects that you get to work on. And also how, how does an institution like TD uh, apply equity, diversity and inclusion, you know, on a, on a day-to-day -day basis? Um, I, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm sure there are, there are policies in place uh, as, as there are with most organizations, but um, they've created a role and there's a function dedicated to it. So what does that look like from uh, on a, on a daily basis, basically? So um, TD has really solid programs when it comes into our people and culture and our HR functionality. Mm -hmm. And what I was able to do within equity and innovation is think about product design. How do we actually think about early stage product uh, design and service design and infusing equitable principles into what we do there through our innovation process? Um, and so uh, this has led to uh, what we call the EDNI Equity, Diversity, and Inclusion Resource Hub, which is essentially um, a, a tool that walks you through an equity process that you can use. It goes through something what we call the equity considerations, and these mm -hmm. are questions to ask to make sure you spur on equitable decision making. Mm. And uh, from there, we actually build out um, inclusive personas. Um, personas are used across industries; they're very regularly used. Um, Sometimes in traditional personas, it actually leads to the, the stereotyping or tokenization of certain uh, identities because you're forced to put them into uh, either demographic factors or uh, their biography. So everything becomes so-and-so has this disability or so-and-so is from this minority community. And um, you don't get to see the holistic person. And in inclusive personas, you get to separate it out and you put in these four A's, which are accessibility, uh, attitude, aptitude, um, and uh, and uh, ability. And so by taking out those areas, then you can have some little bit more nuance into their holistic person. And it's not about their ability or it's not about their race or it's not about something like that. And, and I love that element of it. Um, so building out tools like this, helping teams integrate those processes into their product design and service design, um, it's been used in technical and non-technical projects at TDE and it, it's just going to keep growing. Uh, I'm really excited about that, that, that work and that ability to educate and help train teams, you know, train the trainer essentially so they can start to use this uh, in their, in their teams moving forward. Mm. What would you say is your greatest achievement in your role at TD or the project that you're the proudest of so far? I think it has to be the equity, diversity, inclusion resource hub. Um, you know, we had been using the process in the lab for quite some time and, you know, everyone loves a good process document. And so mm -hmm. when we started to put together, like we have to write it down and we have to be able to uh, replicate it for our own um, 
information, we started to see the impacts on our projects that were coming out of the lab. And from that, um, we we organically thought, well, we should share this. We should mm -hmm. share this with other teams. And so creating this resource that uh, is accessible to every single TD employee uh, has been a real dream. Uh, and, you know, even today I was meeting with uh, people across the bank to even include some additional resources that they're working on and giving ourselves a central location for these resources to make sure that we're building the most equitable products possible. And what would be your advice? So we have a lot of women entrepreneurs who listen to our podcast and, uh, you know, for, for smaller businesses who are looking to integrate uh, principles of equity, diversity and inclusion and other initiatives within their organization, what's a good place to start or what are the first few steps they should be taking? Well, the first step you should take is the first step. Um, equity work is very overwhelming. A lot of us don't want to make a mistake. We, we are doing this with such good intentions. Um, and so there can be a little bit of a paralyzing feature here because you don't want to make a mis misstep in your first step. Mm -hmm. But taking your first step is the best thing you can actually do. Um, choose something that you have knowledge on. If it's a policy, if it's a job description, and, um, you know, questions to ask yourselves, you know, go through what are protected classes through the human rights code. Start mm -hmm, thinking, have mm -hmm. I, have I looked at race-based data if it's applicable? Um, have I made sure that there's gender neutral language? Um, have I considered the impacts of, of racism, homophobia, Islamophobia, those different areas in, in this community? And have I gone the extra mile to establish transparency Mm -hmm. Those are all things that you can start to ask yourselves. And those are some of the considerations that are part of this equity hub. Um, and if you are are feeling, you know, um, overwhelmed, which is a, a very normal a thing normal to thing, do yeah. as you start to take on this process, <laughs> mm -hmm. I'm overwhelmed all the yeah. time, um, <laughs> is, it's, you know, there's so many subject matter experts out here who want to help support you. And mm -hmm. a lot of these individuals with this lived experience are already writing blog posts and they're already mm -hmm. um, showcasing their services and they're already talking about what their experiences are. And you probably already have those lived experience subject matter experts in your own companies and organizations right now. And the best thing you can do is listen and figure out, okay, I'm understanding from what you're telling me where I can action and start to make those actions and reflect mm -hmm. it backwards saying, I listened, this is how I'm going to move forward with what you're telling me you need to do to feel uh, more seen or um, better, uh, like in a safer environment, that sort of thing, and then be accountable to what you said you would do. Mm -hmm. um, that That's the, if you want something that will demonstrate that you are doing this in good faith, be accountable to what you're saying you're going to do. Um, I think for a lot of, it can be entrepreneurs even, but even, you know, employees or really any, anybody who is, is kind of going through that process. It is, it can be, it can be a scary space. Uh, you brought it up. People are afraid of making mistakes. Um, we've also been going through quite a few episodes that I'll classify as, you know, cancel culture, uh, where, you know, we are quick or certain individuals are quick to point out mistakes made by organizations or individuals, uh, when it comes to EDI in general. Um, how do we, how do you navigate through that space? And I'm interested for an, an organization like TD 
um, you know, what kind of mechanisms are in place to be able to say, okay, we feel that this work has been vetted and, uh, you know, we are, our actions are rooted in, in, in the right intentions and the proper mechanisms have been put in place. Um, because there is always that risk when we are making a statement, we are making, creating a new policy or applying policy that relates to EDI, we might get it wrong. So how do we navigate that? And how do you navigate that in your role specifically? That's a great question. And I, I won't be able to speak to all of the different departments at TV, but I can definitely mm-hmm, talk about yeah. how I do it in my role. And uh, I think one of the things that I find is that I am very cognizant that I am not the subject matter expert on lived experiences mm-hmm. outside mm-hmm. of my own too. And I try to surround myself with as many subject matter experts as possible. And when there isn't someone there that represents that view or that experience, really going outside and, and further um, those conversations with people who do have that lived experience, who are those subject matter experts, um, be it nonprofit organizations, be it mm-hmm. advocacy organizations, be it uh, internal employee research groups. I'm, I want to make sure that, you know, the information is, is at the most up to date. And it reflects the actual lived experiences to the best of our ability. And mm-hmm. uh, when I think about what we did with the hub, how many different um, people came in to review it, the types of feedback that it came in, and being very honest about seeking that feedback too. I think that's the other thing. It's not, I, not going in from a checked box standpoint, yeah, but being able yeah. to say, like, I integrated mm-hmm. what you told me and thank you for, you know, educating me. Uh, when I need to be educated and, and validating me. And those are those are the sorts of things that I try to make sure that I have as many people who represent as many different possible identities as possible uh, in my work. This season of The Brand is Female is made possible with the support of TD Women in Enterprise. And they're about confidently building you. As a woman entrepreneur myself, I know I need all the support I can get. It takes sound advice plus guidance to the right connections, tools, and resources. What's great about TD Services for Women in Business is their collaborative approach. TD can facilitate and connect you to workshops, coaching, and mentorship, and they engage other like-minded business leaders in an authentic way so we can share experiences and learn from each other. TD Women in Enterprise has banking specialists who are able to be proactive in the advice and guidance to give to women in business. This episode today is brought to you by TD. TD offers highly personalized digital experiences that empower customers to make confident financial decisions and are committed to offering you tailored and relevant banking options. The future of digital banking is being shaped by TD and the digital journeys created are generating positive reviews and results. Visit TD.com to learn more. What kind of signal do you think it sends that uh, a large organization, you know, in this case it's TD, but there are other ones as well, um, are integrating, you know, EDI within their their activities and are, are making a point of of it being a critical function and you know creating positions that uh, are, are are fully driving these initiatives. Um, what kind of signal is it sent in this case in the financing sector? But we know we need this, uh, you know, across large organizations in any sector really. Um, and in I guess my my second question in there is: Are we seeing a change? And you've mentioned how your role has evolved, so it sounds like this role maybe didn't exist, you know, two years ago. Um, 
Do you think that we are making progress in the corporate world when it comes to uh, creating more space and uh, making sure that EDI is, you know, at the top of uh, the priority list? I think that it signals the importance, right? I think that it, to be able to say that this is in a, a, a job function and this is the only thing you're focusing on, that is such a huge signal to the world to show that this is important. I think there's also a huge signal that comes from the fact that this is in the innovation space and it's showing mm -hmm. that uh, innovations uh, can be creating a more equitable world. And that that conversation is such an interesting space to be a part of, to say, mm -hmm, you know, mm -hmm. this might not be a big um, technical innovation in that understanding, but if we're able to address uh, policies or products or services that might not be um that might not elicit a sense of belonging from all different groups, then mm -hmm. that is actually a huge innovation. And I think mm -hmm. that's a real special spot to be in. Mm. Um, I think that there is also quite a bit of, of movement in the space too. Um, I think we've, we've all, uh, you know, in the time that, that I've been at TD, I, I, have been so supported in in some of these equity principles that I had brought on into the other types of roles that I've been in, but crafting the space it just shows the, the support that my organization had for for this space, uh, and not just in you know people and culture and HR where we mm -hmm. see a lot of roles. We do see a lot of roles in corporate areas, but thinking about it on the product side too, mm -hmm. um, which which is like super great. I think that you know there's also a lot of conversations you know, about the importance to be able to show to your stakeholders that you're actually listening to what's going on and their concerns, you know, depending yeah, on yeah. which demographics you're looking at. We know that there is quite a bit of importance when it comes to um, equity, uh, diversity, inclusion. Um, we're also having that importance when it comes to ESG. Uh, mm -hmm. Those are things that, yeah. you know, you have to be able to showcase to your stakeholders that you're actually thinking about these things and not only just thinking, but, um, doing concrete actions in that space. Yeah, there's accountability that's required now. And that's how the conversation is evolving in the right direction, basically. Um, I, I can't not mention, you know, the two years that we've experienced getting out of the pandemic, or it seems that we're getting out of it now, hopefully, because we've had conversations about the recovery a few times now. Hopefully this is uh, actual recovery at this point. Um, how do you see the impact of the pandemic in Canada uh, when it comes to your ADI work? Um, and, and, you know, since we we speak about women's issues on, on this podcast quite a bit, we know that women is, especially have been affected. We refer to the She Session as a, as a result of the last two years. Um, but from a, a, a broader EDI lens, what's what's the damage that we're looking at? And maybe there is a silver lining too. I'll keep that door open in case there is progress being made, maybe as a result of the conversations we're having in this context. Well, you know, the the pandemic hit our family just as hard as quite a few other uh, families across the country and across the globe. Um, when I went back from maternity leave. So I first started the first week of February and six weeks from the day that I walked into the office, um, I was working from home with a 15 month old and oh, my wow. husband and I <laughs> literally, because daycares had shut down. Exactly. Um, my husband and I 
were doing two hour shifts of childcare mm-hmm. and work. And so we were mm-hmm. starting at like 7.30 in the morning. You go until dinner, you do dinner, bedtime routine, and then you both work until you can't work anymore because you're exhausted. And then you roll it over and, you mm-hmm. know, um, both of our both of our jobs were so supportive but we we were getting to the point in may where we were like you know something's gonna break it's either going to be our mental health you know i i have diagnosed anxiety and depression Mm. that was not being well treated at the time um and then um you know you you don't want to have those conversations but you know you're getting snappy with your Mm -hmm, partner mm -hmm. and so something's gonna break and my husband uh, took a, a severance package at his work, actually, wow. so that he could be the full-time stay-at-home mm-hmm. dad because I had just transitioned back into the office. Mm-hmm. And when I think of our story, I think about how unique it is that, you know, if I followed the she session, I would have been the one who would have been it like, I been guess you. I'm just going back on leave. Yeah, exactly. It would have been me. And then if we had done that, I probably, it was about two and a half months after that that I started uh, taking on an expanded mandate of being the equity and inclusion advocate at TV uh, innovation mm-hmm. space. And so if I had done that, I would have not started off the the set of dominoes that led to my position. And I, mm-hmm. I think about that when we're looking now at return to work, how many people, uh, especially women lost out on opportunities that could have been, you know, their, yes. their pivot in their career that they didn't know mm-hmm. that they, that they would have found their dream jobs. And so on the HR side, there's a lot of things that I think about when it comes to equity, you know, like mm-hmm. looking at um, assessing gaps in um, in resumes, you know, where yes. whenever we're looking at our resumes in the in the labs, uh, you know, uh, we're currently um, looking at uh, a couple roles that we'll post. And I'm working on some uh, job descriptions with uh, some of the senior managers to make sure that we're thinking about like, okay, when we here's our, uh, you know, call outs that we have to make sure for accommodations. We have to think about, you know, explicitly saying it's okay if there's a child in the video, things like that, because, Mm -hmm. you know, there's going to be a lot of people who are coming off of, um, you know, being at home now that their kids might be vaccinated or that sort of thing. They might have those resume gaps, making sure that we don't penalize someone for doing Mm -hmm. what they needed to do to get through the last two years, that that's going to be such an important factor. That's such a good point. And I think that's part of EDI work as well as recognizing, and there's the mental health element, you you know, you brought it up in, in the case of your own personal uh, experience, but for employees as well, I think for a lot of employers, um, managing, you, you know, proactively their employees' state, mental state is a big part of the work that's happening now and it can't be ignored. And in some cases, it's, you know, there there are individual cases, but it's putting measures in place so that, um, you know, uh, overall employees can be made feel uh, welcome back and that the process of getting back into the before world as we know it is going smoother. Um, but I think it's it's for a lot of employers that can be overwhelming as well, not to not to forget employees themselves. So that's a, a very important point that you bring up. Um, 
was going to ask you a question connected to that because I wanted to talk about allyship with you. And it's interesting that you bring up uh, your the decision your husband made and that you probably made together as a couple based on your own lived reality. Um, what does it mean to be allies in general with EDI work? And something I want to bring up is allies for women, uh, whether it's in the workplace, in the business world, uh, because we, uh, on this show, we put a spotlight on what women are accomplishing. And sometimes we have conversations around women who are breaking the glass ceiling. But I think it's very important that we highlight that there are other genders that support these women. And this is not a, a, a woman against men conversation. So in your work, what kind of space does allyship occupy? And what would you like to see happen going forward with allies in general? Well, that is a great question. <laughs> there was a um, lot packed that... in there. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, one of the things that I think about within equity work that I've been doing is that I have never found an employee at TD, you know, doesn't matter what stage in their career or if they're an executive or not, who's looked at the work that we're doing in, in equity and innovation and said, no, I, I don't think we should do that. Everyone mm. has said that I want to do this. How do I mm -hmm. do it? Help me help me understand where I where I can start. How do I get started? Um, and that that alone, um, you know, has been such. I'm so grateful for that experience to work in a, a culture where everyone understands the value of looking at an equitable and, lens. And that's been cultivated, right? That has been cultivated. Because that's that's not that doesn't happen overnight. It's the result of ongoing measures around creating the right culture and uh, fostering, you know, those, those beliefs and 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 hiring the right employees as well. I would expect. Absolutely, and you know, and even if I think about some of the things that might have come up from different teams, you know, um, during certain parts of the pandemic, I'll, I'll remember VPs. Um, scheduling meetings and saying, you know, we're only going to do them during set times because I know some of you have nap time. So you need to schedule it or you have to show up after you get your child to sleep. And I even had a, a VP um, tell someone to reschedule a meeting because he knew I was in the middle of nap time during during that meeting. And so I think mm -hmm. allyship is one listening to these lived experiences and these needs from from groups who who need a, a who need to be able to see that their lived experiences are reflected in the decisions that are being made. And so mm -hmm, mm -hmm. it means a lot of listening and it means a lot of accountability to your actions that you're doing to say, yes, I, I'm going to, I'm taking what you're, you're asking for, or I'm taking your experience and I'm making sure that I adjust or um, in product design, we would say it's a, it, inserting a tangible feature set. <laughs> it's the, mm -hmm, it's the mm -hmm. same thing to make sure that it, it reflects that, um, and then also going back to groups and doing a check because mm -hmm. lived experiences change, um, the types of needs that people have change. And so making sure it's a regular cadence where you have those listening circles or those focus groups and building up from there is really important. Um, the other thing too is, you know, making sure that if you're, um, if you're in a leadership position or if you have access to groups, um, being able to make those connections and, and spur on some of those, those lessons that you have um, to help people navigate through the system. Um, we know that we know that different uh, marginalized identities, be it persons with disabilities or women or uh, uh, minority, uh, racialized minorities, um, those opportunities don't 
um, appear maybe in the same way, or there's sometimes that fear to ask for some of those opportunities. Mm. And so going the extra step to say, I think you should talk to so-and-so, let me set up an email, or I think uh, this is a great idea. Can you say this in the next meeting? Those are the types of things that I've had executives who have believed in Mm -hmm. my work do that. And Mm -hmm, and that's mm -hmm. where I was able to gain that confidence to say, you know, I actually am a subject matter expert here. I, I, mm-hmm. I have earned my spot at this table. And I wouldn't have done that without allies, particularly male executive allies, who really focused in on saying, this is how I can be a good ally to you, to mm-hmm. highlight your work and, and, and validate you in front of other peers so that you are given those opportunities to further what you're doing. Mm-hmm. That's a great example. And going back to your own career a little bit, what would be your advice to um, the, the younger generation and anybody who's interested in pursuing work in the EDI world? Uh, what kind of opportunity should they be looking for? What kind of network should they be looking at developing? Where should they start? Um, that's also a really good question. Um, I think, first of all, um, the, your dream role probably doesn't exist. Uh, mm-hmm. And you're gonna, you might be able to craft it, and that's really exciting. Um, those sided desk opportunities that you might have, um, you might be able to string together something that actually becomes your sole portfolio. And um, I, looking back at the ways that I was afforded those opportunities from the side projects that I had taken on, and they built up to be more and more, and saying, you know this is now 30% of my work. I think that Mm -hmm. I have to offload some other things and, oh, now it's 50% of my work. And, oh, it's like, it's like 80, 90% of my work now. Um, And having that actually become what you do because of your passion is actually really exciting. I think a lot of employers, you know, a passionate employee who really believes in what they're doing, you can see that in their presentations, you can see that in the quality of work they're doing. Um, and, and, you know, a lot of people don't go into equity, diversity, inclusion without being passionate for some mm-hmm. reason. There's there's mm-hmm. usually a reason why you want to do it, be it to, you know, smash the glass ceiling, or if you want to uh, address, you know, accessibility and technology, those are all mm-hmm. things that you are, you have to be passionate about. And, mm-hmm. um, you know, being able to showcase that inside projects start to put together that portfolio and make the case to say, hey, I think I actually have the skill set to make this something that I do moving forward uh, and, mm-hmm. and keep on going. Mm-hmm. Yeah, very good advice. And my last question, which is also my favorite question to ask, what's one thing you wish women would do more of and one thing you wish women would do less of? I am not someone who has avoided the dreaded imposter syndrome very well. I think we all go through this. And um, I think it's so easy to not credit ourselves with the work we're doing. Um, there, there's, um, there's this idea of always defaulting to the team and not highlighting the work that you've done and the importance and not feeling like you are a subject matter expert. Um, but if this is something that you actually are the subject matter expert in, you you have to start thinking, I've earned this spot at the table. People are coming mm-hmm. to me for advice and, and guidance because I am the SME here. And mm-hmm. treating yourself with the respect that you deserve too and, the, and, and reflecting that 
in this in these cases in these situations that uh, you have the guidance that can actually help drive strategy and change the way that we think about things. I I, I wish it didn't take women so long to get to that point because I think we all mm-hmm, have a mm-hmm. point where we realize that we've kind of flipped that switch and we're now yeah. understanding we have a seat at the table. But there's such a long runway, and if we're able to showcase that in a way that we we deserve our spots at the table, then it maybe will make the runway a little bit smaller for the next generation exactly. and then the next generation. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I work with a group of co-ops and it's usually um, a gender parity group. So usually three, uh, three female identified students and three male identified students. And I try mm-hmm. to spend quite a bit of time with the female identified students validating their work they're doing as co-op students, as interns, so mm-hmm. that Hopefully I can shorten their runway just a little bit so that they don't spend so much time feeling like they don't de- like deserve that spot at the table when they do. Mm-hmm. So that was doing, well, there was both more and less, but was there, <laughs> it was doing less of the, of the imposter syndrome. Is there something you'd like them to do more or we can interpret this the other way around? No, You've I, answered both questions with one. <laughs> I so less less of the imposter syndrome, and I think more on on the the actual respecting yourself as as a subject mm. matter expert. I think if right. we don't believe what we're subject matter Perfect experts, mix. then we're not going to we're not going to bring that into our meetings. We're not going to bring that into our work. Yeah. But if we believe it, then that air of confidence just changes the way that you know not only do how we see ourselves, but our peers see ourselves. Yeah. And that's where we can be allies to somebody else and bring up how we view them as an SME on a certain topic, just like you have male executives who celebrated your work, you know, mentioned your work to others. We can play that role in another woman's life or whatever the gender. Um, and I think Absolutely. that's how we can we can give back to. Absolutely. Like my my previous people manager would spend part of our one on one sessions uh, as like the hype session, you know, literally part of it Mm. was the hype session because I think she saw that transition that needed to happen. And she spent a lot of her time as someone who was a little bit more developed in her career and had experienced people Mm -hmm. managing and really led some of these strategy sessions to say, you know, this is, this is how I can support this younger individual who has a career trajectory by ensuring that they start to see themselves as someone who belongs at the table too. And so that's on, mm-hmm, that's mm-hmm. on us. If we have that ability uh, to be a people manager or to be a friend or a confidant of another person to really say like, what you're doing is so important and what you're doing, you know, you, you have the skills and the knowledge here to actually shape something, something awesome here. And I'm here to help build up your confidence so that, you know, you go into these meetings like the subject matter expert that I know you are. Mm, I love that. Yeah, that's really good advice. Samantha, it was such a pleasure getting to know you, hearing more about your journey. Thank you so much for making the time today. And I'm excited to see uh, where your work brings you next. Thank you so much. I really hope you enjoyed today's conversation. And if you did, as always, don't forget to subscribe, rate, and give us a review wherever that is possible. Thank you to TD Women in Enterprise for their support of The Brand is Female. You've got it in you to succeed. Let TD help guide you. Visit thebrandisfemale.com slash podcast and click on the TD logo. 
Thank you so much for listening to a podcast by The Brand is Female. I'm Ava Hartling, and this episode was produced by our team. Sound engineering by Isabel Morris. Research and production support, Claire Miglionico. Marketing and digital growth, Kayla Gillis. And partnerships, Natalie Hope. Yeah.